Welcome, Guido. Thanks so much for coming tonight. Um, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about what you guys do at Ubico. Yeah, thanks for, for having me. It's, it's really great to be here today. So at Ubico, we have a very simple mission is we want to make the internet more secure. And the way how we do it is with stronger authentication in a way that's essentially proof against phishing and many other attacks where you have these little YubiKeys. I'm not sure if you've seen them before. Wow. As you plug them into your computer, you just touch them. You use that often as a second factor or even as a first factor to log into a website or in a, into a computer. That sounds like a miracle, really. <laughs> uh, I just had two SIM swaps within a space of less than two weeks. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, look, I, I was at a, at a Bitcoin event recently, and, and very honestly, I felt somewhat left out. I've never been SIM swapped in my life, and everybody else was. So, uh, it's, um, <laughs> you're well, a step ahead of me. <laughs> it's a good thing to be left out of. I tell you what. <laughs> um, and so, what's your thoughts about? Um, like where we're going as far as um, preventing this, because it's um, it seems that the telcos don't aren't really paying attention. They've got their heads in the sands, and um, yeah, it's not good enough on their part. So, what do you think needs to happen, and what are your ideas from your perspective? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, like my, my very personal opinion is, uh, I mean, there's there's definitely things the telcos can improve, but I think. To some degree, I think uh, we're running into an impossible problem here, which okay. is that, you know, if you have a website, say a banking website, right, for the most casual user, let's say my, you know, 11-year-old son that has an account there, uh, SMS-based two-factor authentication is probably good enough. Yes. On the other hand, for the most, you know, high net worth client that they have, um, busy falling back to the level of security that you know, a carrier has, an AT&T has in their store, it's probably not enough, right? So, so basically taking all of internet security and reducing it to the security of the phone companies, I think long-term it's just not going to work. And I guess too, um, like I've read up on this quite a bit, and it, it appears that of course the, the telcos didn't uh, expect that people would be using their phones in the way that uh, they are required to use them uh, for authentication and um, all of that. So. Do you think there needs to be like a whole rethink of that? And do you think the telcos will ever do that? <laughs> Look, I, I fundamentally think that the, the, the strong forms of, of authentication have to come from somewhere else, right? Okay. Uh, today, we have much, much better way of authenticating people. You know, there's some, some really great new standards, like, for example, WebAuthN, which yeah. was, uh, you know, uh, ratified by the, um, by the W3 consortium earlier this year, that basically allows you with some, some very inexpensive um, uh, security keys like the Yubi key, or even with a built-in biometric identifier of your phone, to, to, it can provide you with an extremely secure way of logging in. Right, that's far more secure than it can ever achieve um, with an SMS. So, I mean, my personal take is, I think for for high security applications, SMS-based two-factor is just the wrong solution. Right, yeah. and um, I think we'll we're now actually seeing some regulators react. So there was uh, there's now an opinion in the European Union, but for certain applications, SMS two-factor can no longer be used, you need to fall back to, to other mechanisms. So I think long term, my guess is that SMS-based or phone call-based two-factor is actually going to disappear and be replaced by other stronger methods. Right. Okay. Well, let's hope things get a bit better um, because uh, there were quite a few people in the couple of weeks that I got um, hacked um, yeah. that I, I found out they were hacked yeah. too. <laughs> so I was like, oh my God, this is awful. And then uh, one of my advisors said, well, if you got any sort of profile in the crypto community, then you're sort of a target. But I'm Absolutely. like, me? <laughs> I think the good news is today in many websites, you can actually turn off SMS-based two-factor. 
So for example, if you're like using Gmail, right, from, from Google, um, they, I don't know when it was exactly, but sometime during the last, I think six months, nine months maybe, okay. um, they give you the option to say, I no longer want SMS or phone number based account recovery. I only want to do it with a security key. Oh, right? okay, so even on Gmail? Even on Gmail, so you can basically, and you know, okay. if you do that then, if you get SIM swapped, I mean, it's still a nuisance to get your new SIM card and so on, but basically at least your online accounts, all of them are safe. That's really useful information. I'll check that out. Thank you so much and thanks for coming and I'm sure it's going to be a great panel. Yeah, we're really looking forward to it. Okay. Glad to be. Welcome, Lance. Thanks so much for coming. Um, I really love opening Twitter now because I always see your wonderful tweets in the morning. Do you want to talk a little bit about your passion for security and research? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, uh, started out as a kid looking into uh, Houdini, actually, and loved magic. And oh. and uh, it was always interesting seeing how he was able to manipulate things and do things in ways that no one was expecting. And uh, as I got into technology, this sort of naturally progressed. And, uh, you know, the lockpicking and security side of uh, magic bridges right over. And just yeah. trying to look at things differently and see if I was malicious, how might I approach this? And... Um we need people like you, obviously, because, gosh, all the hacks that are happening just generally. But um, uh, obviously tonight we're really focused on the SIM swaps. And uh, I, at the end of June, I had two um, SIM swaps happen within a period of less than two weeks. And um, now T-Mobile have put me on to a SIM-blocked account. <laughs> and I said, why isn't everyone on that? <laughs> and they said, oh, our team's too small. So um, I'm just wondering, what's your overview and perspective of what's happening with the, the SIM hacks? Um, it's pretty terrifying because it's not just crypto um, that can be attacked. Your bank account, anything that you've got as an app on the phone to start with. Um, so what's your suggestion or solution or vision of where we're going with all of this? Uh, well, I think it's twofold. First of all, um, we have this situation where we have given carriers the control over all our most important assets. Um, this was a foolish choice in hindsight, uh, and I think hopefully everybody can realize that uh, uh, cell phone texting is just not the best two-factor authentication method. Um, we have so many better alternatives today, and so while we need to hold carriers responsible in the short term, in the medium term, we need to be holding these services responsible that offered SMS as an option in the first place okay. because it's known to be an insecure method. And even if the carriers fix um, the SIM swapping part of it, um, we don't use strong encryption on SMS in the U.S. Uh, with very trivial to acquire equipment. You can still listen in on text messages within like a 20 mile plus radius. So attackers will just move on to that next. So let's let's be ahead of them and move on to like hardware two-factor authentication devices. And we have to pressure the companies we care about to offer that. So do you think the telcos will pay attention? Um, because I've read that they basically never expected that the phones would be used in the way they are now um, initially. And so they're just taking that keeping their heads in the sand because of that reason. Yeah, I think it's uh, not too dissimilar from how things played out with uh, social security numbers. Uh, we treated social security numbers, phone numbers, these sorts of things as uh, a, a proof that someone is you know, who they say they are. Uh, and uh, these are just not good methods. These are not methods that were ever recommended by security researchers at large, um, and which is why it gets back to we need to start finding some of these other methods. I don't think the telco companies are equipped to care. Uh, they're not required to care, and they're profitable 
profits aren't going to really change regardless of whether they take any uh, sort of effort here. So um, my confidence level, why, oh, I think it is worth continuing to pressure them. My confidence level that they, they will do anything about it is low. I think we have to look at the companies that, um, you know, again, customers have entrusted to hold their funds, to hold their assets, the most uh, important things. If we could look out for money ourselves, you know, we just keep it under our mattress, but we don't feel confident to hold a lot of these assets ourselves. We trust these companies that say, hey, we'll keep your assets safe, we'll keep whatever it is safe, to make good recommendations. And SMS is just not one of them. Well, thanks for the heads up on that. <laughs> I'm going to make sure that I can remove all that SMS uh, two-factor authentication on websites. So um, I really appreciate that you come tonight. Uh, your expertise will be invaluable, I'm sure, and I think it'll be a great panel. Yeah, it should be fun. Welcome, Michael. So good to see you. I know the last time we were going to have an event with you, um, you couldn't make it, which was very disappointing. So it's great to see you. Thank you, Gain. Yes, um, I really just would like to hear what what happened for you when you lost the 24 million um, via a SIM swap, and and also what your overview is about what the solution is in this issue. Oh, sure. Um, so that was the second time that I've been SIM swapped. Um, the first time, and I'm somebody who's been in the industry for a while, since early 2013, and so I know what best practices are, I employ best practices, but some of the gangs are getting so good that even people who, you know, have all their exchanges on Google 2FA, have things on Trezors and Ledgers, I had all that. Um, but there are still ways that they can go in and hack certain things like staking wallets. And they can also go in and go and get into certain email accounts because they literally take over your domain registrar. So there's all sorts of things that they'll do because these gangs will have up to a dozen members where they have one person bribe someone at a telephone company. This is how it happens. And then once they get that number, they'll have another person just who's basically the phone holder who sits in a chat room with all the other people who are hackers and they say, oh, I just got in here. What's the number? Oh, four, five, six, seven. And they just read it. And they're just there until you're able to go in and get AT&T or whatever the other phone company is that got hacked, the majority are AT&T, um, to turn it off. They typically will do this on Sundays um, or very late at night because they know that um, it's so very difficult to go in. One was late at night and one was on a Sunday. There you go. So if it's done in-store, the stores are open on Sunday, but it's very difficult to get customer service on Sunday because they're on a lower shift. If it's done late at night, it typically means that it was either done through a customer service rep online. Um, there's a number of different ways, but um, or in some cases, we're now finding that the ones that are done late at night are when someone literally took over the entire panel for a store. And they were able to basically own it as if they owned the AT&T affiliate store. And I've actually seen uh, panels where people said, yeah, I have this panel. So, so ever since I got the second hack, so the first hack, uh, relatively speaking, I didn't lose as much. I lost half a Bitcoin back when it was only worth $1,000. I did, however, because they took over my Skype, had people conned out of about 13 Bitcoin um, because, and again, back when it was worth about 2000 a Bitcoin, but still, um, they took over my Skype and basically would just email people, look at my conversations, say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble, I need some money, can you send me a Bitcoin? Um, or, in one case, they actually saw that somebody had a bill they were supposed to pay me and said, oh, can you send it to here instead? 
and they did because they thought it was me. So really what this is, is it's not the, the theft of a SIM, it's the theft of your digital identity. And your digital identity is your identity these days. And that's why, you know, we think that this is such an important uh, federal case against AT&T. Because they don't see it that way. They see that they've done nothing wrong, that they do not guarantee any sort of security for their customers. And just go after the criminals because we're not criminals, we're the mighty AT&T. Wow. Um, at, I'm with T-Mobile and there was, um, <laughs> I had to do three tweets after the second hack. Mm -hmm to the CEO to then be escalated to the executive office of the president of T-Mobile, the only office that has email. And um, they put me on a SIM swap blocking account. Right. I said, why isn't everyone in T-Mobile on that account? Oh, that team is very small right. and we've got millions of customers. Right. And I'm like, Hello? No, I think for the most part, I mean, I'll skip to your last question, which was how do you stop this? There's three things. I've actually proposed this for laws in Wyoming and in Puerto Rico. Yep. Um, I would like to propose this to the FCC because I have a feeling from what some lawyers have told me that even if a state passes it, they'll go and say, oh, states don't have authority, it's an FCC issue, etc. And I'm, I'm heartened to see that the FCC has now gone and taken robocalls seriously and starting to go and you know demand that there's solutions there well robocalls just waste a little bit of your time and once in a while a robocall will fool somebody who's elderly that they're really being pursued by yeah. you know whatever the latest scam is the you know your social security number or or you know nigerian prince or something like that but here we're talking you know over a billion dollars that we know of, probably more that has been the direct result of AT&T and the other phone companies um, allowing for sometimes minimum wage employees to have access and permission to go and hand over your digital identity to a criminal and oftentimes there's been arrests for about a hundred dollars. There was an arrest where uh, during consensus last year, a whole bunch of people were hacked. They, tra they traced it back now and arrested somebody who was an agent of AT&T's at a store in Tucson, Arizona. He had 41 accounts that he basically gave to the hackers for a total amount of $4,500 paid by PayPal. So a little over $100 per. One of those accounts um, lost almost $2 million. Nice, nice return for the uh, criminals. And so they have this, I mean, it's organized crime, which is, yeah. you know, the one judgment that I've gotten so far is against um, one of who we believe is the hackers and have a lot of evidence and belief, Nicholas Truglia. He's sitting in jail right now. In fact, actually has his bail hearing coming up next week okay. for the third time. We believe he's an extreme flight risk. It's not for my crime. It's for six other crimes where he's hacked six other people and they have evidence, um, you know, showing... Uh, here's the store where they said that so-and-so came in, and then they literally have the towers that show went off here, was supposed to have gone to someone in the store, actually it went to his apartment in New York City, in every case, his apartment in New York City. So, you know, these gangs are very sophisticated, but uh, law enforcement is, is overwhelmed right now. I just heard earlier that there's now something like seven or 800 new cases just from one agency in the last month. So it's accelerating. Well, let's hope that they actually decide to do something and, and also I'm really looking forward to the panel because I know all of you guys and all those smart experience um, will bring together some possible antidotes for what's happening.
Yeah. So I would say, and you know, I talked about the first hack. The second hack only happened because when I, the first hack happened, I went to AT&T and I said, what can you do to protect me? And I went to T-Mobile because the first hack, I actually got both services, AT&T and T-Mobile, hacked within an hour. That's how, how good the gangs are. They targeted both of my phones. I got hacked within an hour. And uh, again, I told you I, was, I only personally lost about half a Bitcoin. It was about $1,000 back in summer of 2017. I then went and said, how can you prevent this from happening? And they both told me, again, that you have this special program that they don't tell everybody about. Um, in the case of T-Mobile, it does have a SIM lockdown. AT&T will not allow you a SIM lockdown. They said, however, you're safe because we're going to give you, instead of a four-digit password that can be reset by your phone um, or by your email, we're going to uh, give you a six-digit that cannot be reset, so therefore you're protected. What they didn't tell me was that any minimum wage employee of AT&T worldwide can see that and can act on it, and that's unconscionable, and that's what we're suing about. And so what happened, you know, was that a 19-year-old in Norwich, Connecticut, um, we believe, on evidence and belief, as my lawsuit says, was paid probably about $100 by the gang to give up my digital identity by saying on the AT&T records that I came into the store, showed my ID, my ID didn't scan, so he did a manual override, and then boom, up it lit in, in the gang. And even though I had done a lot of... Um, you know, security measures beforehand, and then two weeks nonstop of interviewing the top people in the world uh, after the second one, they were still able to go and find a hole because it's not just cryptocurrency wallets. It's also the software that attaches to that. It's Oracle. It's like, you know, it's all sorts of things that if they can find a hole in that comes just from theft of your digital identity, how do you stop it? Real simple. First and foremost, mandate it. And that's what I want the FCC to do. Um, the telephone companies, if they're smart, would do this on their own. If one of them does and advertises, the rest have to follow. Yeah. Act like a bank. If you go in and you forget your PIN code, you can't ask the teller what your PIN code is. Uh, it's pass-fail. Yeah. They need to have pass-fail fa- passwords. You have to go and put it in a keypad, your six-digit code, and yeah. you can't just ask somebody what it is. Yeah. And that would solve it. And then also let everybody know that there are high security options available when you sign your contract. And no extra cost. It's just going to be a little more inconvenience if you actually legitimately lose your phone. Fantastic. Thanks so much again, Michael, for coming. And I'm really looking forward to the panel. I think you'll be a great contributor. Thank you.